Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Derek Pernasiglio Show. You know who I am. We love talking to the legends of the sport because they share all these great stories, and we have two great storytellers and legends of the sport. Tommy Baldwin Jr., Steve Park, Long Island, <laughs> Long Island uh, contingent here at the table. Thank you for coming on the show. Well, yeah. thanks for having us. And, uh, you know, me and Tommy, you know, I was talking earlier, but, you know, we've been we've been friends for like 50 years. Mm -hmm. I don't want to give our age away, but, uh, you know, we grew up kind of wrestling around the Isom Speedway and some of the short tracks with our dads and, uh, and kind of grew up in the same path with auto racing. And uh, fortunately, we've both been successful in NASCAR. That was going to be probably the brunt of this conversation was growing up around Islip and all of that kind of stuff. Because, I mean, God, you guys were at the track together as kids, too, right? I mean, you yeah. go to the track together. and Well, where we used to sit in the grandstands, <clears throat> we just so happened our families were probably from here to that away, you know. So it was kind of kind of hard when they got into it a little bit because, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, the Park family up top on top were very loud. And yeah. right. Mama Park was pretty loud at the time. She's softened up since uh, <laughs> since then. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they were all wound up, and uh, it was uh, good times. Me and him used to run around down underneath the grandstands and find money and find all kinds of stuff and uh, wrestle and yeah, was, it was pretty cool. I was just going to say, did you guys ever get into it and have a fight when your your, your dads got together on the track? Or anything? I, your brother. <laughs> yeah. Your brother, Todd, but not you. My, yeah. my older brother probably, you know. Oh, really? was more vocal, and then uh, he couldn't fight, but he, <laughs> he he would he would have a big mouth sometimes. And uh, and a lot of times, the only interference we really had in our friendship was when our dads would get at it. You know, we you know the parks wouldn't be talking to the Baldwins. And we'd look at each other from across the pit and be like, eh, you know, got to abide by your parents and stuff. But uh, other than that, you know, we've had a good relationship. We ended up working together for a while and won a lot of races. And, uh, you know, the only one thing that I regret that we didn't get a chance to do was really work at the upper echelon of NASCAR together. Um, you know, we bounced uh, ideas off of each other and we talked quite a bit. Uh, and we almost got something put together when we when Tommy was at Bill Davis racing, but it just never came together. And uh, you know, that's the only thing I wish I could have seen happen again was us getting back together because you know we we surely knew how to win a lot of races. Oh my God! I, all the times you guys in uh, the number eight Sagenoko car yeah. over the years. I mean, uh, Scott and Patty Banzel's car. That was you guys were the ones to beat. I, I mean, the. the uh, the, the history that you guys have all the way through that sport. Did you ever think to, like, think about it, like kids screwing around under the grandstands at Islip and then making it all the way to the top levels of NASCAR? You know, I mean, you driving for Dale Earnhardt, you winning a Daytona 500. I mean, like, it's, it's the stuff that, like, you dream about as a kid. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> we, during that time when we were winning races, we... I think we did a pretty good job of executing what we wanted to do. We got together and we had a really good conversation and said, you know, we're at, we're at a point of our careers that we can go places if we choose working together with the success we're having. So um, we got with, uh, what was his name, the writer of the Speedway scene, uh, Bosha, right? No. Not, Bones? Uh, no. No. Um, I forget what his name was, but we went to him and he we talked to him about making sure we were in the press a lot. It just so happens we started winning a lot of races, so that was easy um, for this him to do. In the modified days. In the modified days. So he did a really, really good job of getting our names out there more than probably normal. 
So we kind of used that to our, our benefit at the time. You know, obviously we were winning races, so that helped. And, uh, mm. you know, the last, uh, last time, last race we raced together, we won. And then, um, you know, Scott didn't want to, the owner of the eight car really didn't want to do what we wanted to do to come back. And uh, the rest was history there. What is it that you wanted to do? Well, we wanted to come back, but we wanted to, you know, a little bit different situation as far as uh, getting paid, doing a couple different things at the time. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, during that, you know, during those, that whole two or three week sequence of events, um, Greg Sachs called me and he wanted me to come down and Bono and I come down to uh, help him crew chief and work on his Xfinity car, the Bush car back then for the brand new Miami Speedway. So I was contemplating that, and finally I said, all right, I'll come down to help you. He's like, all right, let's go down. I'll fly you down to Florida. You and Bono, it just needs a little bit of work, setting up, everything's good. Mm-hmm. So I said, all right, no problem. So And this is what, 96? <clears throat> 95 or 96, uh, yeah. Okay. And yeah. So, um, yeah, so we fly down. We go in this little garage in Sam Sula, Florida, and then uh, the car is in pieces. <laughs> it, it is in total pieces pieces so we uh this is greg's team yeah greg's team is the jackaroo sauce car there they, okay. they, they, so um bone and i look at each other i said well let's get to work so we work day and night for two three nights and uh two two three days straight uh slept all up from sam sula to miami got there qualified in the top 10 i think ran in the top 10 up until uh we had a windshield strap come loose and he pulled in because he thought he was going to get black flag but uh that was the the weekend that Bono and I looked at each other and I said, you know, we can come down here and do this. We can run, you know, we, we, we can, we can come down here and be successful. That was your first ever like upper tier NASCAR race. Yeah. First time that we had everything in place that we, we did some Bush, Bush races, uh, earlier in that year with, uh, with the car, you know, but we just bought a car, not knowing anything, <laughs> anything, what to do to it. You got, you guys did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That yeah. was what it Bush was, a, was it? Bush North it was, or it was an actual Bush series? It was a Bush no, series. It was the Bush series. Yeah. And, okay. Uh, uh, we'd run Dover, and and I think we misqualified in Richmond by one spot or yeah. something, and uh, we had another car owner that was uh, Teddy that was from Connecticut, and uh, you know when we didn't really know exactly what we needed. Like Tommy said, we bought a car that we could afford, and then uh, you know these guys took it completely apart and, and reassembled it in a way that um, you know they thought the car needed to be, and and the car was decent. You got to remember that I didn't have hardly any experience in a full fendered car other than pro stocks up in New England. Tommy was kind of new to the sport too, and so was Bono, and um, but you know we we had a car that was you know almost qualified for richmond against some of these really big teams right and, and, it, uh, and it turns out that they pretty much set us up they built they gave us a speedway car and we here we are showing up at richmond, richmond. with the yeah. short track race and, okay and me not knowing to tape the grill up for qualifying we goes out and open, we only missed it there was 60 cars back then used to try yeah. to qualify and we only missed it by one spot and just again it was a learning experience uh, that year that we we dealt with but it kind of gave us a little bit of information that we knew so when it was time not to make those mistakes again for yeah, sure. I was going to yeah. say at that time do you realize like we're in a we're in a really big pond here yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we, we knew we were but you know the confidence that Tommy has now and has had ever since I've known him is you know you can fool me once but you'll never fool me twice and uh 
you know, and you can see with the success that he has had in everything he's kind of touched. And I wanted to tell the story because it was funny. We had come down south and a little closer to the mic. Let's hear it. <laughs> we had come down south and we were poking around a little bit, and uh, we thought we'd have to, you know, get all our pieces in a row and put our money together a little bit and try to find a marketing team and try to find a sponsor and try to find a, a position, move down south and get involved in the uh, in the Bush series back then. Mm-hmm. And we set up this meeting with this with this marketing team. I can't even remember the name of them. And when we sat down in there, they're like, well, tell us what your aspirations are. And Tommy just bucks up and says, oh, I want to be a, you know, uh, start a grand national team. And then I want to be the crew chief on a Winston Cup team and uh, blah, blah, blah. And, and then at that whole entire time, I'm going to run the modified tour also. And they just sat back and looked at him and like, uh, is this guy nuts or what? <laughs> well, how many modified championships has he won? Right. He's won the Daytona 500. He, you know, he's won races in Cup. He's won races in the Bush Series. I mean, you know, whatever he's put his hands on. So uh, it was so funny because, you know, we look at it 30, 40 years later and we say, remember when we went down and talked to those people and they they thought you were absolutely nuts that you can do this stuff? and. <laughs> And then last year he wins the modified Southern Modified Tour Championship, the New, New Smyrna Championship, and then the um, it was, it was modified NASCAR, tour. NASCAR, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, all in a single year. So uh, he's he's not giving up yet. Now, how to, for you? How big was it winning the the modified tour championship? Was it as big as as <clears throat> some of your NASCAR wins? It was. It you know really to me it cemented the seven and why in history you know and that's that's why i do it I, I you know i mean you know back in the 90s and 80s we won our fair share of modified races and 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 did pretty well and i keep reminding everybody i've been gone for 25 years you know so you know last year was really only the second time i went full time in the modified tour since i started back in i think 19 2019 again and, and we finished second the last time we were full time so um yeah i mean it was pretty cool just to cement that seven and why in the uh, record books uh you know no one can be able to take that away cool steve just a little closer uh, to the mic actually you can bring it you could that's, yeah you can bring fine. it to you there you go just like I, that i'm new at this oh, stuff i know it's all good don't worry about it but you, you know what though it's funny because uh the seven and why has been iconic in modified racing and I honestly think that those those short track cars don't get the fame and the notoriety that they do anymore because honestly everyone's changing their their paint schemes up every year like you look at different cars every year but when you go to and watch some of the modified races from back then you know that blue number three you know that yellow number four is the mystic missile you mm-hmm. know that black seven ny is you know the ball yeah. right like that's something that I think a lot of teams miss out on nowadays is they don't stick with that same traditional paint scheme over the years to become that well-known and iconic too. Yeah, I mean, I think it all has to do with the way the world has changed with sponsorships and wraps and, you know, how all the artwork gets done nowadays on the computer. So it's a lot easier to do that. But uh, I will tell you there, <clears throat> we are, the Modifieds are more recognized probably now um, than they have been, than they have been um, because of flow and because of race in America. And, and, you know, every time I walk back into the cup garage, you know, that everyone's always asking, hey, how did the Modified do? How would you do last night? Where are you going next? So everybody's been watching the Modifieds. And, uh, you know, I keep telling everybody it's just as tough down there as it is up here. So 
Uh, it's a good series, no matter what series you're, you're in, whatever modified series, whether it be the NASCAR Tour or the Smart Smart Tour down south or the open races. Um, you know, Spring Sizzle is probably the at Stafford is probably the toughest race we'll ever race all year long because of the competition. So, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, and it's still one of the toughest races, even though it's not a tour race, too, because now you've got more cars showing up that are trying to make that field. Yeah, I, you know, probably be forty-five to fifty cars showing up there. So it's a, and you know, it's a tough race to make. On top of winning, you know, is even tougher. So, uh, yeah, we got a work cut out for us. Right mm -hmm. now, Steve, your dad raced for years. Mm -hmm. I I watched him race. I watched your uncle race, and yep. then you hopped it behind the wheel. But Tommy, you were different. You didn't. Your dad raced, but you didn't. You didn't. You decided to go the crew chief route. Did, there was no desire to ever drive. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. There was a little bit, but uh, my mother shut that down at a very young age. She was, <laughs> you know, and then, and I think I think I think my old man just got, you know, got to the point. He's like, I need someone to work on my car. If you're going to go drive, everyone's going to start helping you, and what am I going to get out of it? So, uh, I think it worked into his favor. Um, ended up working into mine eventually, but. Uh, yeah, I, I wanted to. Um, now, obviously, the kids are racing. I couldn't. I did a really good job with Tommy the Third keeping him away from driving, and uh, <laughs> these two have been relentless. So now I'm dealing with that. I was just gonna say. Now you've got two sons that are racing now. I mean, God, they are spitting images of you too. It's it's amazing, but uh, it's got to make you proud, though. I mean. Uh, uh, Luke got the championship down in New Smyrna this year, and then your other son just won a race recently as well. What 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 goes through your mind seeing that next? Yeah, I mean level? it's. And it's, are you making them work? On, that's the other thing. Are you making them work on their cars? Well, Jack goes to college, so it's kind of hard to, for him to get back and forth because he's a, you know two three hours away at App State. But uh, Luke comes. He comes and works. Uh, he kind of knows the, the you know the path of what needs to be done on a daily basis now. So he helps as much as he much as he can you know with with school and everything else he's got going on but uh are they as involved involved in as as i was at that age absolutely not i mean at 16 i was already crew chief at my you know with my dad's modified so i was i started at eight years old working at the you know baldwin automotive in you know long island so i started very early so which is still in business too right yeah we have two of them <laughs> 30 30 employees so we're, uh, we're we're doing well but wow um yeah i mean it was different type of situation there because I was going pumping gas and checking everybody's oil at eight and then sweeping floors <laughs> and then next thing you know I'm working on race cars and crew chief and so yeah it's a little bit different world I heard a funny story and Steve Halpin told me to touch on this to tell the story about how all the neighborhood kids would come over and vie for your approval to be able to come to the track on Saturday or well, get to go to the track? Yeah, my mom had a rule. You can only take one friend <clears throat> to, to ISO Speedway on Saturday night. So every morning they would start coming to the house. And, and my good friend Tracy, <laughs> he would come. come every, he'd be the first. Every, and he would ride his bike in circles until we came out. But he had this Cocker Spaniel dog used to bark. And my dad didn't get back from New Jersey racing late that Friday night. So he, he used to, every morning used to wake him up. And he was, the old man used to go, all right, all right, all right, you can go. Shut that effing dog up and get out of here. You know? So, uh, yeah, they, they used to start calling early. And uh, sometimes, you know, Thursday night they would start. But Tracy would be the first one circling with his bicycle in the street. And the dog barking. And the dog barking. Yeah. And then I heard also that your both of your parents had uh, – creative ways of sneaking you guys into the pits 
Oh yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't creative. It was either you know underneath the car or in a <laughs> in a bin on the trailer or yeah. you know, just hide your way in because we weren't old enough to get in the pits. But right. you know back then at Islip, you know once you got in the pits, you were in. Yeah. Uh, we couldn't leave like they could leave and come back in with a wristband or something because we just didn't have one. But you had to hide at the truck. And yeah. Majority of the time, once we got in, we were just there, you know, again, before I drove, I was working on my dad's car and Tommy was crew chief in his dad's car. And, um, you know, we were just, that's where we wanted to be. And that's why, you know, I, I consider having probably one of the best childhoods growing up because every Saturday night we were at the racetrack and, um, you know, just, just love being there and being a part of it. And, um, I remember um, after the races were over, all the all the adults used to open up an adult beverage, and you know we'd hang out in the pits until one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, and they would leave like faint lights on on the racetrack, and um, uh, us as kids, we'd go out on the racetrack and we'd be able to walk around the racetrack and touch the wall and get on the banking and stuff. Yeah, some kids would take their bicycles. Yeah, and, and there would be like one or two lights on the racetrack, like night lights. And I remember telling myself, I said, man, if I could just live at the racetrack, I'd be the happiest guy in the whole entire world. Well, be careful what you wish for. Yeah, we were living. We were living there. Because then we started living at the racetrack quite a bit and then literally living at the racetrack in motorhomes when we were involved in NASCAR. So, uh, you know, my wish came true, but sometimes you got to be careful what you wish for. Yeah. You I, spend I, a lot of time at the racetrack. Oh, believe me, I get it. There's a lot of times where, you know, my nephew's racing and he's running really well in NEMA. So I, there's not many chances I get to go back and see him run. You know? yeah. So, like, the, I was, out of all of my family's wins, I was only there for one of them. Wow. Yeah, because mm. I've been away racing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I know exactly what you mean. But yeah. your, your start, though, came in technically go-karts right yeah yeah uh, easton karting and at uh, jones beach at jones beach uh, <laughs> i ran there I before we still get to see pictures every now and then um and uh, my dad came home with a go-kart he had seen in one of the racing papers that they had uh trophy races and um i forget what age class we were in i think it was like uh 12 or something like that and he got a go-kart from one of the people he knew through through work and uh brought it home and I stripped the whole thing down and we painted it I remember like in Imran paint because my mom worked for competition imports in uh, Smithtown oh my God. and uh, my uncle was the body shop manager and he was like you bring them parts down we'll paint them and I mean the go-kart was probably 10 years old and we were competing against guys that had new stuff and we made our stuff look like new but um, between my dad and his crew chief on his modified car I remember, you know, we'd race and then during the week I'd work on the go-kart and my dad and his crew chief would have like the right rear axle up on the curb. And his crew chief at that time was like 250 pounds and he would jump onto the rear bumper and actually bend the frame to put wedge in the go-kart just to make it handle different. <laughs> so, you know, now they have adjustable spindles and adjustable axles in order to do that. You don't have to bend the actual cart itself, but they were weighing it on the scales they were using for the big car and they were they were making it better for me. And we'd, we'd go up and, you know, win races and run in the top five with a cart that was 10 years old and everybody would look at our stuff and be like, I can't believe these, these guys are beating us. But uh, again, through hard work, dedication, um, learning a lot, little know-how, uh, there's a lot that can be accomplished. Now, at, at what age did you actually switch over to running the, the Mini Modified then? Uh, 15. Um, I ran the last race, last couple, I think the last few races at Ice Speedway. 
Again, you had to be 16. Good old mom and dad lied about my age so I could get in there and race. And uh, never mind sneaking in. But, uh, you know, we got in there. We had a car built. And, and the story really goes is that I was in um, a limited modified go-kart. And we were going to go to the modified division in go-karts. And you had to be 16. And I was only, I think, 14 at the time. And the president of the club told my dad, if you go around to all the competitors in the modified go-kart division, which were the older kids that were 16 and older, um, and get everybody's permission as a driver saying that they feel comfortable racing against your son at, at, at a young age, we'll let him go to the modified class. So my dad, you know, proud modified guy, he goes around and gets everybody to sign a petition that I could race and everything was cool. Brought it to the president about a week later. He said, nah, I think, I think I'm going to decline that. And my dad said, well, he can race a car at 16 years old. He can't race a go-kart at, you know, 15. And it was the best thing that happened to me because then my dad got so mad, we started building a four-cylinder car, a four-cylinder <laughs> open-wheel modified car. <laughs> and, uh, and like I said, every day, you know, after school and weekends and everything else, you know, I mean – you know, I was learning how to cut and fabricate and weld and, and build. And I think some of the parts that we had gotten were from a from a Nissan pickup truck that was at the old Deer Park Speedway that was way overgrown. Really? And my dad had heard about it, and it was a, it was a Nissan pickup truck, and those were the rear ends we wanted to use because they were very much like a, a Ford 9-inch. Okay. So we trekked up into the woods, and we could see parts of the racetrack that were still there, and we found this burnout flipped over. Uh, Nissan pickup truck and the best thing was it was flipped over so we went in there with <laughs> mobile torches and we cut the axle out of it and that's the axle we used to build that first car I'm gonna say it's like right there in the open you don't have to it crawl was, under uh, it or nothing my, my dad said the same thing he said well whatever they did they helped us out by flipping it over because now it made it that much easier to get the axle out of it now did you help him at all with the go-kart or the, no, the modifier no. no we didn't really get <laughs> together until uh, really till we got with the eight car yeah we talked about it a couple times but uh yeah that was a <clears throat> pretty funny story how we yeah uh, <laughs> yeah how did that also come together with you two being driver and crew chief well, uh, you can the eight you car. can tell the story but i'll let you tell it because you'll have to clean it up a little bit I think. no don't clean it up <laughs> we're not bound by the fcc you can use whatever language you want that's the beauty part well you know how contracts <laughs> are done right well this this was our contract yeah so. yeah so we i I think I was at uh, PRI. Where was I? I was at a I was at a show, and um, Jeff Fuller just said, you know, that he was going to leave and go down south and race the the, the Bush, uh, the uh, NASCAR Bush Series with uh, Sunoco and with Ted with Ted with the forty seven car. Yeah, so Jessica. So we were we were mulling drivers and stuff, and you know, Scott and I we were trying to uh, figure out who we were going to have drive and. You know, we were talking back and forth, and uh, you know, you were a crew chief and for Jeff at the time. Yes, yeah. I was crew chief yeah. and yeah. the eight car with the eight car, and um, so we get on, <laughs> we get on the phone. About, we there was some alcohol involved, and he was, I can't remember where we, we, we were, were testing Thompson. We're, no, we were together. Yeah, we were testing Thompson, then we were flying home. No, we were at a show and we were drinking, I think, <laughs> and then, and then, then finally I'm like. I'm like, are you gonna drive or not? He's like, man, I don't know, because he had to deal with the seven. I think the '77 car at the time, and I'm like, yeah, and then oh. the one car. Yeah, the one car. That yeah, it was with the one car, and I, and so now this was back before I was married and everything it was, you know, early '90s, and I had a, and my girlfriend at the time. She was, she was, uh, 
you know. So I, I said, uh, I said, okay, if, if I have her show up at the airport when we get off the plane, but nothing but a coat and heels on, will you drive? And uh, he was like, I was yes. Like, I was like, if you pull that off, I'll do it. Yeah. And a coat and heels that's on. A, that's a, it, just was, a big, it was a rainy. It was a rainy. It was in a winter, you know, cold November. Cold. So, yeah. <laughs> so I said, if she shows up with nothing but a, a trench coat and heels on, completely naked underneath there, will you drive for us? You know. And he's like, said, yeah, I'll do that. I said, if you can pull that off, it's a deal. <laughs> and uh, we get off the plane, and sure enough, his girlfriend met us as we we're coming off the plane and stuff, and we're walking to the airport, and they're holding hands, and I'm behind her going, hmm, hmm, hmm. So I just went up and grabbed the bottom of it and <laughs> lifted it up. <laughs> and it was just bare ass everywhere. And I, I turned around, and me and Tommy just high-fived and said, done. We're going racing so next what, year. what color were the heels? That was, I don't know. Black. Black jacket, black Black heels, heels black jacket. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, that was our what, contract. What, what a shame all contracts aren't run, done like uh, that anymore. I know, but it was, it was just funny because then after that, you know, we were talking even the next day, and I said, "No, I, I got to figure out how I'm going to exit out of the team that I was supposed to drive for next year." Because now me and him made a deal, and that was it. Yeah, and then it was, uh, you know, a lot of wins after that, a lot of fun. Sorry, guys, I got to go. I've seen yeah. my crew chiefs grow naked. <laughs> like, <laughs> and you, you can back the years down and figure out who I was dating at the yeah, time. Yeah, we don't want to incriminate yeah. anybody. <laughs> I'm not going to incriminate so. anyone. Wow, what a. That's that's amazing. But when you guys did hook up, oh my god! I mean, it was it well, was it, a it, potent it, combination. I mean, you it, guys were like the Ray and Jeff of the modified tour. It uh, was, and it was hard in the beginning because uh, we were dominant, just as dominant in the beginning as we were at the end. But we were having failures. We we were should have won. I think we won seven out of the last eleven races that year. But we should have won another three or four easily. We should have won over half the half the races that year and uh we were just having mechanical yeah, part yeah. failures and uh i mean i think we were a second faster on the pole at nazareth that year and uh, we were leading we we broke and we were leading stafford we broke uh mm-hmm. we you know we had a couple other ones that we were we should have won t- all the thompsons we lost that one when the lug nut got in between the uh break caliper, caliper. Yeah. Uh, but i blame it on you for coming in i told you what it was but yeah, that was that, that was that was the night I was running back and forth. Telling, I was he, just gonna say that. Yeah, I was start. We started last, and he coming back through. So I was running up and down the whole whole uh, pit area, telling everyone, "Get the out of the way. We're coming. So get out of the way." And we would. He just finished second, and, I think. But we. No, we, I think we we won. Um, no, we didn't win that one. I but, don't think we won that. But one. the funny thing is, I'm in the car, so I don't see the annex in the pits and what he's doing as a crew chief and. We, uh, I think it was the 300 we won, and um, we kept, you know, you know, every time we'd come in for tires, you know, people would come in. That, I think they gave you four tires, if eight, I'm not, eight, or eight tires. Then, yeah. So every time a caution come out, people would come in, always have strategy. They'd put on two tires. Then the next caution, they'd put on two. I'm out there and I'm running fifth and I'm loose and uh, I come in. Tommy puts on one tire, one like one right rear tire. I had to run another. 50 60 laps now the car is really bad and uh caution comes out i'm like man all right let's throw some tires on this come down pit road one tire i'm like you stingy bastard give me some tires you know (laughs) and now i'm running like 12th he's like just drive the car don't tell me how good the car is bad it is just drive it drive you know whatever you got we go about another 60 laps and 300 lap race caution comes out we come down pit road 
one tire. And now I'm running like 18th. You know, with a, with a car, we knew we were capable of winning. Well, what he was trying to do was he was trying to conserve tires. And there was a caution. We thought we were in trouble because we were like 12th or 15th. And uh, race is coming to an end. There's like 15, 18 laps left in the race. Freaking caution comes out. Nobody can come down pit road because they used up their two sets of tires. He, Stingy Mike over here, he saved four tires. <laughs> we come down pit road and put four tires on it. I came from the back of the pack like lighting i mean there was right. every car i passed i must have hit going by him there's sparks flying and he's running down pit road getting in front of when i'd catch the next car to pass he'd run down pit road get in front of the guy the crew chief get out of the way we're coming through get out of the way and then no f-bombs dropped oh, a, there. Lot of <laughs> <been> a couple <laughs> yeah right. and uh and then afterwards you know I'd, I'd run into people and they say, great job, man. Your car was flying, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, man, you're a crew chief. What's up with him? I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, he was bouncing from pit box to pit box, telling everybody to get the hell out of the way. We're coming through. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, just just fun. You I tell you, the, you're not the guy I want pissed off at me coming down pit road. Because <laughs> you know, we, we've seen you in action on pit road before. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but now, but all these years later, after the NASCAR stuff and all that, you return back to the Modifieds why um i don't fun. know i just just fun yeah, yeah <laughs> i wanted to have a little bit of fun and get back to my roots a little bit and uh you know get that seven and y back a little bit in uh racing i just basically want to have fun um you know my kids were getting old enough that you know they can enjoy it a little bit and uh you know i had a a, a long 10 years owning my own cup team and i had my own battles and my own wins and losses what i was doing racing with a 32nd of the budget against guys that, you know, had a lot, lot, lot more money than we do. And a lot of times we'd re run right with them. So um, I won my share of my own, you know, things, my own wins, um, but never got to where I really visioned myself getting to. And between the politics and everything what was going on and where we were heading, it was just a good time to get out and sell my charter, which was, which was good. Um, but then I was like, all right, now what am I going to do? I'm not going to not race. I'm not going to do anything. So I decided to build one and go have some fun. And now I got seven of them sitting in my yeah. garage and <laughs> the kids are racing. He just said it. You bring upwards of three cars of the track and then two of the uh, the pro modified. Uh, what are they? Yeah, uh, I had six there. I had modified. six there yeah. in Florida and down in New Smyrna and looking at it going, yeah, you, know, you hit so much for semi-retirement, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you know, I'd ask him, you know, what car did you take down in New Smyrna? He's like, all of them, <laughs> every single one. I'm like, where are you gonna get all the help? He's like, ah, oh, we got a lot of people to volunteer and help out and stuff. But uh, it's funny because just like he said, when he got involved with one modified, he said, I'm just gonna get a modified and mess around with it a little bit, you know. Ended up having so much damn fun, and now he's got six or seven of them. And he's got his kids racing and everything else, and it's enjoyable for me because, like I said, we grew up, and then you know, just watching his kids grow up from when they were born till now, they're racing cars and. I, I called him the other day or shot him a text. I was coming down the road by my house, the main road. Speed limit's 45. I'm going 50. And all of a sudden, this truck goes flying past me. And in the back window of the truck is all this seven New York stuff. <laughs> and I forgot he had bought Luca a red pickup truck. So I said, I think your son just passed me going about 60 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour on Brawley School. And uh, all he said on the return text was, F and Luke. 
<laughs> yeah, so I, I texted him. He's like, "How do you know?" I'm like, "Yeah, got, you didn't rat I, me out." No, no, no. Uh, Uncle no, Steve won't be no, cool, Uncle Steve no. anymore. Well, you ratted yourself out, dumbass, just now. But uh, yeah, I you're just, gonna get a phone call. Yeah, I just, I just said, "There's, there's, there's people around that you know pay attention." No, I know people. Yeah. Listen, for for you guys, when when you were talking about that point of your cup career of, of you know spending the money, the politics, and all that. I mean, obviously, you had aspirations of being like a, a, a Richard Childress or a Joe Gibbs Racing or, or something like that. When you when when you see that that is is hard to reach, do you, how, do you reach a point in your career where you go, you know, what am I going to do now? Because from, from that's kind of like where I'm at with my career right now because the television world's in limbo. They want people on in positions for their reasons and where someone like me is kind of like looking around do you say to yourself what do, what do i do from here yeah i mean that's that's the point i got to you know in the later stages of the team it's just i finally you know probably about five years in i finally figured out that i was never going to get the funding i needed to be as successful as the other big teams i was never going to be able to um because of the politics and how cruel our world is our business world you know if there was a chance you were going to get something someone else was going to take it from you because they had a lot more resources and a lot bigger buildings and a lot more people and bigger marketing and so you had to be protective of the little stuff that you had and um that was just a bigger fight as it was on the racetrack trying to beat these you know beat the cars on the track uh, so it just it just got to the point that i you know I knew I was never going to be able to do it the way I knew it needed to be done. So um, that's just, you know, I just decided that I had enough. I wasn't going to deal with it anymore and go back to the modifieds and try to regroup and win some races and have fun. But now you're competition directing at Rick Ware Racing, right? Yeah. So what goes into the daily operations for you there? Because now technically you're back into the, the, the cup scene again, not as a car owner, but as a competition director. So what is what, what goes into all of your uh, day there? Well, the, the good thing about it is now I can take all everything that I've learned, you know, my whole career and teach everybody else below me, you know, what I've learned very quickly. And uh, there's a lot of good people there right now that, the, you know, the parts and pieces now since this new car everything's the same you know all rick wears parts and pieces are exactly the same as chase elliott's car so it's all about putting them together and putting the people together and and having them set up correctly and execute on sundays and that's what we're going through right now i mean i think the last four or five races we've had cars that are capable and have finished in the top 20 um the last four races with with the group of people that we have and the drivers that we have so we're getting there um the time difference, the speeds have gotten a lot better in the last four or five weeks, but you're still at the same point because there's the same people are going the same speed from 15th to 30th. So now you have to just figure out how to execute, out execute them on Sundays to make that jump. Uh, I don't think the average fan understands how close in time these cars are and how hard these drivers are driving every single lap. So. Um, it's it's pretty hard right now in the garage to uh you know you can see the eight car win one week and run last the next it's just it, you can miss it that much or that little and be that much off because of the competition so um i'm having fun i can tell you that I, it's it's 
I'm glad I stepped away for two or three years to uh, take, you know, take a deep breath and get back into it. I mean, obviously, we've been doing this a long time, ever since we were pretty much born. So, um, yeah, I'm having fun doing it. And, you know, the, it's also, they also allowing me to run the Modified Tour and the Smart Tour and some open races, too, this year, just to uh, finish out what I need to do. And then at the end of the year, I'll decide what I want to do. I mean, you know, I'm at that point in my life that I can do that, thank goodness. And uh, if I'm having fun in both, maybe I'll do both again. And if I'm having fun in the modified more, I'll do that. Or the cup, I'll do that. I don't I don't know. But uh, I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can in every aspect of what I have going on <laughs> to be successful and, you know, have have everybody be successful around me. So. Now with the in with the this new car that's come along, this is a question for both of you. Do you kind of still wish that you were driving to see what the car was like, and do you wish you were still owning because now your equipment is more level than it was back when you were an owner? I don't think I again I would have had the proper funding to complete it. That's why I got out before this. I, I, we knew the car was coming, but okay. that's why I got out of it because I knew everything was going to be evened up. But you know. How was I going to be able to afford the rest, the, the the rest of it, which is you know the the end result. So, um, yeah, I don't know how Rick does. He works hard. You know, he's built a multi-tiered program, um, marketing program with his drag team and his his uh, ISMA team and, and he's got everything and the bikes mm -hmm. to you know, which is very <clears throat> smart on his part because now he can take a sponsor and spread it across. All kinds of different marketing levels, diversified portfolio. Yeah. You know, so he's, he's, he's doing a really, really good job doing that. So yeah, it's a, it's a hard deal. As far as him, yeah, I mean it's a glorified modified with vendors. As far as I'm concerned, the way these cars are driving and the way they are. So um, I wish there were some other chances to get some other modified drivers in these cars to see what they got. But the learning curve. It just, yeah, you can do one race, but then you can take that and get to the next race and be better. But who has time for that nowadays? You know, you got to have enough money to do it right, and it's just a hard deal. And for you, do you want to? Would you like to try driving it or anything? Because, uh, like he uh, said, really, like more modified guys yeah. would like this type of car. I mean, I you know I got mixed reviews on it. Um, you know, I I know when when I drove. Uh, how different the cars were and how different the sport was and you know just watch it how it's evolved and you know some people say it's great some people hate it um you know but it's like you know how many houses you go to and there's a rotary phone on the on the wall and you know i kind of grew up in that in that era and you know then we all got cell phones and people had bag phones back then and now i don't think anybody has that type of phone in their house or a house phone so I mean, you got to embrace change. Um, sometimes it's harder for you know, older NASCAR fans to to take on the new NASCAR, but um, you know NASCAR is doing a good job knowing that there's another group of fans that are coming up that are two, three generations behind us, and things change. And some people like it, some people don't like it. But as for me, as for driving the car, I would probably like to just drive one only because. You know, with with the way the cars are locked down, like slot cars right now, you know they're not they're not moving around. I I had I had one crew chief that actually, uh, you know, I, I'd complain if my car rolled over too much on the right front. He thought I, you know, I was complaining too much about it, so he he mounted the dashboard 
on an angle so when when the car was rolled over the dashboard looked flat he thought i was making a determination off on what the plan of the dashboard is but now you can't even change the vents in the front hood without getting a, a, a heavy fine from nascar right. so uh so it's just it's different i mean I, I would just like i don't even know if i would want to be if, if i'd want to do a race but i would just like to feel the car to see what kind of difference there is and um i know we we just started when i had paul andrews and dave charpentier as an engineer we just started doing some bump stop stuff and when we did we were really fast and and the reason why was because like tommy just said you know with the car not rocking and rolling as much on on big springs it was it felt more like modified modified doesn't have a lot of travel to it um so i took to it right away and um uh, this was before there was any rules about it. Then all of a sudden there was, there started to become rules where you couldn't bump stop it on a, on the lower A-frame. And then they started doing it with shocks and they started doing it all different ways. And um, I was gone in the era when they started, you know, taking the springs from the back of the car that were, you know, 500, 600 pounds and put them in the front and take the 1200 and the 1500 pound spring from the front and put them in the back and everything they were doing with sway bars to make these cars kind of run around like slot cars and and not have so much of a roll uh which improves your aerodynamics which is huge when you're going you know over 180 miles an hour 200 miles an hour so you know the spark the sport went from i think crew chief driven to engineer driven right. where you know these guys were figuring out you know this is the way the car is the best in the wind tunnel how do we keep it at that particular angle for the longest time possible um you know and they just you know started throwing things i was racing i think in the truck series when we had an engineer that was you know yeah i'd be loose at at a place like california and, and they they would go he would get on the radio and tell the crew chief to go up 400 pounds on a right rear spring and i'm like i know that makes the truck looser in my old thinking and mm -hmm. i'd be like no i told you i was loose i was loose and he said no this this will tighten you up and i'd go out there and i'd go about 70 percent, and i'd say hmm i think it is a little tighter i'd go 80 percent, and then i'd go 100 percent, and you know hate to admit it but that it, damn engineer was right you know because it would hold the spoiler up uh longer and you know getting into the corner and stuff so and that's just the changing of the times uh, yeah. really the technology and all and all that which brings me to, actually to my next topic which is longevity in the sport um you've been around for a long time as a crew chief car owner all that you've been around for a while too as a driver you know modified tour cup series what what do people have to do or what can what do you guys do to maintain that longevity because like for someone like me you know i've been on air for 17 years i've been working in television for 25 <clears throat> but now i'm trying to do what i can to keep that longevity going of staying on air hence the show so what do you guys do as far as like you know longevity and, and being around and in the sport for a while? i think just hard work yeah no, i mean you just I mean, can't give up i mean you know i've been fortunate enough that uh you know i've been doing it a long time so i know a lot about a lot of things in the sport from top to bottom so it's i think it's easier for me to be able to relate to a lot of things that people are doing uh, now so <clears throat> yeah i mean you just have to keep working you got to want it um the day you don't want it anymore is the day you 
you, you have to stop and try to find something else. But uh, yeah, I mean, we were born into this. We don't ha we didn't have a choice. And I tell everybody that I'm one of the luckiest guys in the world to be able to do my hobby for a living my whole life. And you know, there's not many people that can say that. So um, I'm fortunate enough that my father started this path for me, um, made me work really hard when I was young. So when mm -hmm. I got old, I felt bad not to work hard. And I, you know, I wish times didn't change that you couldn't, you could still do that to your children, what he did to me, <laughs> um, but you can't. Well, your dad was something, man. Yeah, oh, yeah I mean, you know, the, yeah. you know, you, you, you wish you could instilled a little bit more force into your kids, but you can't do that anymore. Hmm. Like, uh, like, like, Mine did to me, but uh, you know, f a funny story. I got to stop you really quick. When your your dad was uh, had the ha still has the shop in Bellport, right? Yeah, we okay. do. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, yeah. I worked for Roadside Auto Parts. If you remember when they yeah. were around, Lenny Kalinoff got me the job there as a delivery driver. So, did he tells me go take these parts over to Baldwin Automotive. So I'm thinking, oh, Tommy Baldwin's place. I know who he is. You know, mm -hmm. at the time I knew the legend of Tommy, <clears throat> big tough guy, uh, the the magazine cover, I am the whole show, yeah. you know, yeah. that one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I knew he was a big tough dude and I walked in there and uh, he said, one of the, the helpers was there. He says, auto parts are here. And he comes out screaming, where are them mother and this and that and he's slams his hand down how long what the hell were you doing were you taking lunch to get here and i'm you know like 17 years old at the time so i'm cowering right now he's a huge guy and then he just cracks this huge smile and everyone else is laughing because they were playing a trick on me just scared the shit yeah, out of me yeah he was good at intimidating people uh, oh my god I, he was i love to tell the story the tommy senior story because you know we all grew up together and and tommy you know, treated me, you know, like a father, mm -hmm. you know, as I was growing up, me, Mike, you and Ninsko, um, you Love know, to Tom, get him on the show. Yeah. And Tom, you know, Tommy would be the tough, he'd be tough on you, but he was teaching you a lesson. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and we used to laugh cause him and my dad used to go at it on the racetrack and stuff. And when I was younger, I was in high school, I was driving a, a delivery truck and I'd go out to the Hamptons like at four o'clock in the morning and I'd pick up a delivery and I'd be coming back past uh his shop in Bellport or his dad's shop in Bellport and it'd be like 6 30 in the morning and I'd be you know going 70 miles an hour no traffic down the road and I'd be coming up and balding automotive at like six in the morning I'd see this big strapping guy out there with a smoking cup of coffee <laughs> and as I'd look it'd be, it would be that'd be Tommy Baldwin senior you know so I'd choo, slow down choo, air brakes downshifting <laughs> get pulled over I'd put the four-way flashes on I'd run back to say hello to him you know and uh um as I was walking up to him he was looking left looking right looking I'm like Tommy I'm right here man what are you looking for he said I'm just making sure your father's not following you because he hit every part of my car last night <laughs> so it's like you, you damned if you do damned if you don't but uh just stop to say hello and got abused right that was typical though. another quick story is you know we were, we were young and we were traveling to Oswego and all these other tracks and 90 percent of the time my truck would get a flat or a flat tire in a trailer we'd be on the side of the road trying to get it fixed and get back going down the road but there was not one time that we were on the side of the road just either changing a simple flat or putting a spark plug in or something that Tommy would stop. Tommy Senior would stop with his whole rig. Be like, Steve, you're okay? You got got everything you need? Is there anything else you need? Like, no, nah, I think we're good, Tommy. I think we're good. He'd be like, all right, see y'all. But he would never just 
fly by you. And if him and my dad crashed out of the race the night beforehand, if it was me on the side of the road, it'd be like him being broken down on the side of the road. Right. He would stop, just make sure, you know, middle of the night, you guys were okay. That's, yeah, so, that's what race. Yeah, did, you what, ever, did you ever have any run-ins with him, actually, on the track I, or anything? Because I, I know I, you both I, raced together. Yeah, but not a lot. And and like I said, I, I didn't often have any kind of scrums with him on the racetrack that I know of. Um, but, yeah, you there's know, just respect. It was different. Yeah, and it, it was the same thing. You know, there was races, like when I was in school, uh, the Sunday paper would read Park wins Riverhead or Islip. And the people that knew me knew it was either my uncle or my dad. Uh-huh. And, you know, I was a rookie at the time, but 70% of the people in school knew you raced, knew your last name, and just saw the headlines Park wins. And then they'd be, that's that Park kid. You know, oh, like, okay. and I, I wouldn't say a word because it made me look good thinking that I won, but it was usually my dad or my uncle until I got older. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's really cool when you can see that kind of stuff and they do that talking about you. Um, and your dad was, was great at that stuff. I mean, oh, off the subject quick, and another interesting story, your dad got shot, didn't he? <laughs> like, didn't someone like break into your house and he shot your dad and he beat the shit out of him or something like that? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, we just left the shop. He was tough I mean, as, we, yeah, tough I mean, as I mean, nails. Tough as, we just oh loaded the car up for, uh, we were going to Nazareth the next morning, like four or five in the morning. And I think it was probably about 10, 11 o'clock at night. And we just left the shop. So we took off. He, he left to go to his house. I left to go to mine. And, uh, I don't know, 20 minutes later, guys, uh, Chet's calling me up and saying, man, you got to get to your dad's house. Is uh, He's in trouble. You know, something happened, a uh, robbery or something. I'm like, what? I just left him. How did? How does he get into this house so quickly, you know? <laughs> so, um, so I shoot to the house. It's only about five minutes from me. And there's ambulances, cop cars, and I'm like, I pull up. I get out, run. Where is he? He's in the ambulance. So I jump in the ambulance, and, you know, obviously I knew – knew his state before that knew you know he's in shock and stuff and i looked down in his leg and i ripped the ripped the pants open i'm like i said you guys know he's been shot right and they're like no i said he's got a bullet in him he's shot you know and shot in the leg so i blow out of the ambulance doors and all the cops are sitting there drinking their coffee and i'm like do you dumb motherfuckers do you guys know (laughs) he's been shot and they're like no i say are you guys like looking for someone are you guys doing something what the fuck are you guys doing (laughs) right so it turns out that they tried robbing him and they must have been paying attention to what he's been doing and they uh, tried robbing him as he was trying to get into the house so he fended the guy off I guess, and as we was fending him off and fighting him, a guy, he, a gun went off and shot him in the leg. So apparently he was laying in the yard. So he saw the guys get in the car and they were coming t- towards him. So he jumped up and he tried diving through the windshield to, to stop him and to, to get him. Jeez. And he hit his shoulder. It's like on, an action movie. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it was. <laughs> so he hit his shoulder on the uh, A post and broke his shoulder. So he ended up not being able to, to go to Nazareth the next day, which was the most disheartening thing worse than getting shot worse than his shoulder he just couldn't race so i'll get back to i'll finish that story so so we're in the hospital right and trying to figure out everything that's going on he's pretty beat up and stuff shot and broken shoulder and bed and uh so the cops corner me in between the the detectives corner me in between how the doors open the two doors in the hospital clean door you know the fresh air whatever Mm -hmm. it is and they start questioning me about 
you know, if I did it or if I was involved in it. So here, me, me and the detective here, now all of a sudden me and my mother, my poor mother's sitting over there. Now I'm fighting with the detective. I'm with brawling in the mixed of things. I'm <laughs> physical. Just, it's physical. Yeah. We're fighting. Like I'm like, this guy's accusing me and boom. So the rest of the cops are kind of on my side. So they pull me aside and get me and say, man, don't worry about this guy's just trying to do his job. He's a fucking asshole anyway. So we calm him all down. So the worst part about the whole thing for my old man is that Sunday, this was Friday or that third Thursday, that Sunday they're racing and his dad's leading and it's driving my old man. I can't fucking believe Park is fucking leading this fucking race and I'm sitting in the fucking hospital and he's going off. I mean, I'm like, oh my God, is, is this all you're worried about? Yes, look at him. He's leading the fucking race and here I am. Oh, that, that, that's hysterical. I, also, one of the funny stories that, I mean, helping all the boys know, but, um, Tommy Senior used to have the reputation, not the reputation, he would just do it. And like he would win Martinsville and he would drive home with his uniform on in the truck. Like, you know, 15, 16 hours home, right? They'd be stopping to get gas and stuff. And if if we were traveling and we'd run into each other, he'd get out, he'd be pumping gas in his uniform. And drinking a beer. That drinking was, a beer. That was that was his thing. He would always he would stay in his fire suit for a while, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why. He just, I don't know. Just, I, I, th I think, he, you know, it was just like, you know, we'd win races and, you know, he's a chip off the old block and we'd be trying to get a beer at one of the local establishments after winning the modified race and stuff. And there'd be eight or 10 people in front of us to get to the bar to even order. And he'd be pushing them out of the way, dunging them out of the way. And they'd be looking at him. He'd be like, who won tonight? Who won tonight? You did, Tommy. All right, I'll get the hell out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You know, it, it's so funny, too, because our paths kind of crossed in a way with my other family members because, obviously, you're from Northport, mm -hmm. and my uncle is from East Northport, yeah. and he was your bus driver while you were in school. Yeah, my uncle was your bus driver. Remember the that's amazing. Big, well, I don't remember. I, I don't remember taking the bus to school. Um, <laughs> that's all. You don't even remember was. going to school. Uh, I know. When um, I moved down here, he told me he was like, "Yeah, he goes, you know, it Steve must have been Park. elementary school. It was, yeah, it was yeah. a bigger guy and George. Yeah. He was a bus driver. Yeah, he would tell me all the time. But I used to take Steve Park to school, and he would tell me how he wants to race in NASCAR one day. And yeah, yeah, that was my my uncle. That's who was funny. eventually who was eventually the fire chief of the Northport Fire Department. Okay, so yeah, yeah that's it's, how it's that. A, it's a small world. I know when we talked about Long Island, and you know. Just as you know, if you're involved in racing and you're from Long Island, uh -huh. they call it Long Island for a reason. It's not very wide, but it is very long. But, you know, back when Freeport was open and uh, and Islip and Riverhead. Uh, West Hampton. West Hampton. Uh, they even had the drag strip, New York Dragway or something. But, you know, Long Island has lost a lot of these great places where Tons of them. it used to be a hotbed of racing. So... You know, there's a lot of people within our realm of people that we know that either aunts, uncles, cousins. <laughs> um, if somebody was involved in racing, we all had run into each other in, in one way or the other, even if it was generational. You know, might have ran into your uncle or your or your dad or uh, or, or a cousin or a friend. But um, you know, I'm just proud to say I'm from Long Island. I mean. And you know, I'm not I'm not the pioneer guy. I mean, the guys like Greg Sachs, like we were talking about earlier, you know, the one of the one of the best modified drivers we've seen who came from there. Charlie Jazan back. Um, 
And then as I was trying to break into into NASCAR, the best thing that I could do, and you, you were talking about your career, was that I had learned that if I, if I race as much as I can race and anything I could get my butt in and try to win at that division, then you're not going to be, oh, he can only drive modified or he can only drive a pro stock or he can only drive a late model. Um, and, and the year uh, I got actually uh, Richard Childress's attention and Dale, um, I was racing – I raced like four races in New Hampshire because there was a rain out from, you know, a couple of weeks beforehand. So we went back for the rain out, plus ran the, the Bush North race. And then I ran um, the truck race for Kurt Rurig in a Pennzoil truck. And, you know, when when you start looking at the past, the things that I'd done in the past, you know, I could sit down and tell you how it was a calculated move. Everything that I did was to try to further my career and get the opportunity. And, um you know, opportunities, you know, people say, well, you know, you had great opportunities. Well, opportunities is only what you make of them. Right. Uh, I got the opportunity when I was talking to Dale to uh, drive Joe Nemechek's truck. And Joe called me up and wanted me just to qualify the truck at Watkins Glen because we were up there with the Modified. And I said, sure, I'll do it. So, yeah, great opportunity. In the meantime, I was talking to Dale and his people and Richard and his people. And... I took the opportunity because I thought, man, if I could really make something out of this, because at that time, you know, Joe was a top 10 truck and he was racing, I think, Bristol and they they need somebody to qualify so he could come back and race it on Saturday. And uh, we ended up driving the truck. It was about sixth or seventh fastest on the speed sheet. And I was telling the crew chief, I said, man, if we make one or two changes, you know, I, I know I can go faster in it. And they're like, well, I think Joe just wants you to get it in the field so he can come and drive it on Saturday. So uh, long story short, they called Joe, and Joe said, man, if he thinks he can make it better, make it, as, uh, you know, make it the best you can for him. So we made some changes. Uh, Ron Fellows, who's an excellent road racer, he was driving for Sunoco at the time in the road race series. Mm -hmm. um, and he was there, I think, racing the nationwide car. And through some of the promotions we did with Sunoco, I became friends with him. And I went over and talked to him to ask him some questions I had about Watkins Glen because I didn't have a ton of experience there. And he told me, he said, you know, when you get down to turn one and you get turned in turn one, he said, you come up through the gears and you got to go wide open until you get to the bus stop. I'm like, there ain't no way. There ain't no way we can do it. And I, I was almost doing it, but it was almost impossible, even if we put tires on it. So we made some changes. I went out and practiced on old tires, and I was probably 98%. And I said, you know, with new tires and tape, you know, I got all the confidence in the world. And sometimes my cuyones are bigger than <laughs> my brain. Yeah, right. And uh, uh, we ended up qualifying and getting the pole. And uh, they asked me, so what was key? What was the key spot? I said, well, I got down through into turn one, down, you know, into low gear and went up through the gears. I got to the S's, I held it wide open, I closed my eyes. When I came out the other side, I was still going straight to the bus stop. <laughs> and I said, and then after that, it was, after that, it was pretty much a standard drive. But, uh, you know, again, with Ron Fellows, you know, getting help from him, um, you know, stuff with like Sunoco, the people you met, people you were able to talk to, right. uh, put all those pieces together to try to give yourself an opportunity. And then I think Ty Norris at the time, uh, he had talked, he had come over to me uh, for the pole with the truck and uh, he called Earnhardt up and he said, hey, I got good news and bad news. Earnhardt said, well, 
what's the bad news? He said, Horn of the Ace Fifth. He said, hell, that's not bad news. That's good news. What's the good news? He says, you know that park kid we've been looking at? He's on the pole of the Nematex truck. <laughs> he's like, he's on the pole of the Nematex truck. And, uh, that, but, the, but that was the that was what got the ball rolling. Because didn't you, like, you got the, the pole in the modified and then the yeah. pole in the truck and then ran good in the Bush North race or something like yeah. that, too. Yeah, uh, we, we uh, finished second in the Bush North race to Andy Santer. Yeah. Um, Another good racer. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, but again, like I was saying, with opportunity, you know, I could have passed on it because I was already talking to some of the big people in the sport. Um, but I was a racer, and I had a lot of confidence myself. I said, if you give me something halfway decent, I was thinking, ah, you know, I'll qualify 10th with it out of, out of you know, 45 trucks. Um, that'll that'll be impressive. And then I don't have to race it. But... Um, Luckily, we made a change, got the pole, but I could have easily qualified last. Mm-hmm. You know, I could have got real loose in one of the corners, qualified last, and then your stock is climbing, and all of a sudden it drops. Yeah. You know, so... all it takes uh, is one mistake. An opportunity is, you know, not always a good opportunity is what, what you make of that opportunity. You got to bet on yourself. Yeah. yeah. That's right. the key. Is that one of the reasons why you, when you said you got to race more, when you, you got... Because at one point you had left Long Island and moved up to Connecticut to race at Stafford every week yeah. and where else Riverside Riverside too, Park on Saturday nights. I'd run the tour show uh, qualifying on Saturday, and then we'd shoot down to Riverside Park and run there every Saturday night. Um, I moved to Connecticut to run the Pro Stock, um, you know, which is like a late model right. um, mm-hmm. on Thursday nights. And the guy that kind of solidified me to move to Connecticut was a guy by the name of George Murray. And he wanted me to drive his pro stock full time. He had the big trailer. He had new tires. He had the best engines. And uh, I was like, George, it's impossible for me to try to make it back up here on a Thursday night. It's you know, it's a four hour ride. And uh, and so, you were already hold on, you were already down south at the time, right? No, I think he was racing. I think he was racing Fuller's modified. At the oh, time. okay, okay, yeah. go ahead. And so I was racing the Tour modified. Um, on on Saturday and Sundays, I was uh, excuse me, I was racing um, <coughs> the Pro Stock on Thursday. Uh, I was racing the SK car at Stafford on Friday. Then I was qualifying the Tour car on Saturday. Coming back, racing Riverside Park Saturday night, driving back to the Tour race to race it on Sunday. So back to George Murray. Uh, what a, was, what uh, a life, though. Think about it. Like it's yeah. it's like some of the best of times. Well. Uh, when I was working, didn't know any better. I did, yeah. What yeah. We did. That's, that's that's what you did. Yeah. Right. And and I worked a full time job on top of that, and I knew that uh, my auto repairs I could do them anywhere. So I next time I was in Connecticut, I literally, you know, you've heard people say, you, you point out the racetracks you race at. I put my finger in the middle. I pulled it, and it was a little town called Ellington, Connecticut. I said, next time I'm up there racing, I'm going to go through that little town. And when I did, I found. A building that was for lease and then um, it was Johnny Appleseed Apartments and it was Sumner Chapman who used to race Riverside in the street stock <laughs> there was there was an apartment for rent and I found that it was his father's company and I talked to him at the racetrack he said oh yeah we'll hook you up and in a matter of probably three months I'd packed up and moved and I still got to go back to George because what made me make the decision was he kept bugging me. Big strapping guy, owned body shops, had plenty of money, great stuff. Kept when are you gonna when are you gonna tell me you're gonna drive for me? When are you gonna tell me? I'm like, George, it's gonna be impossible to 
try to do all that travel. And uh, and he said, so, so how do you get rid of somebody? You say, how much are you going to pay me? You know, usually in the lower divisions, like, well, I ain't got much money. Right. You know, I'm like, well, then you just made the decision, you know. <laughs> and he told me, he said, well, he said, I can't pay you, but whatever the car makes, I'll just sign the check over to you. And I'm thinking, all that, his equipment, it was 1300 to win, it was 200 for last. And I'm thinking to myself, with his stuff, I'm like, I can win every week. And then I'm doing the numbers in my head. I'm like, you know, I'm making eight hundred dollars to a thousand dollars, and then I'll make another thousand, and then I'll make another, you know, five hundred racing Riverside, and you know, tour racing, and doing all that type of stuff. So I was actually making a good living, right? Um, Which to him back then was like twenty thousand. So he was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was racing five I, nights a week, but I, none of that mattered. <laughs> but at that point in our lives, money didn't matter yeah. because if we you, walked around with three dollars in our pocket. If so. you if you worked it out, how much you were getting paid an hour for the amount of time that you put in, uh-huh. you know, you were making like a dollar an yeah. hour. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, we were we were shooting for the big picture. You uh-huh. know, that we were trying to get to the point and do everything we could while we were young to get the opportunity that we had. Um, so just just fun stuff, you know what I mean? And another quick story I like to tell is uh, um, my, my spotter, a longtime spotter of mine, Randy Smith, um, he lived in Ellington also. And when I was getting the negotiations done with Earnhardt, he said, well, I'm going to be testing Richmond. He said, I'm gonna, I was living in Connecticut and Ellington. He said, I'm going to fly my jet up to pick you up, take you to Richmond. We're going to get, you know, pick me up. And then we'll go back to Mooresville. And I uh, said, you can stay at my house and we'll, we'll talk in the office in the morning. So he's like, keep it under your hat. Don't say nothing to nobody because, you know, we're just talking, you know. But th- I can go into why he didn't. I didn't know why he didn't want to talk about it other than we didn't have the deal yet. And But there was other reasons that were kind of made me look a little shitty. But uh, um Anyway, the only person I tell is Randy because I need somebody to give me a ride to the airport. It was a little FBO in Connecticut, in Hartford, Springfield. So, uh, so he drives me to the little FBO, and I told him, "Hey, Aaron Hart's sending his jet for me to bring me down south. Come talk to me, uh, talk to him." So we get to the FBO. And we're there, and 15 minutes late, 20 minutes late, 30 minutes late, and he's looking at me, going, "Oh yeah, Aaron Hart's." <laughs> yeah, he's late and he's sending his plane like he thought I was telling him a complete fabrication right next thing you know here comes this black jet Dale Earnhardt Incorporated crest on the tail and I, I punched him I told him you see I told you he was coming I told you he was <laughs> sending his plane and his two pilots got off and they said Steve Park I said yes sir he said you gotta go to the bathroom or anything he said We're, it's about an hour back to Richmond and I said no sir and uh, we were laughing cause I got in the airplane, we shut the door, and I was in the back of this Learjet by myself in Dale Earnhardt's Learjet. And I'm looking out the little window, and my buddy Randy is looking out the window of the of the FBL where he dropped dropped me off like we were never gonna see each other. Like I was getting kidnapped. <laughs> right, right. And and we're just like little kids, we're waving goodbye to each other, you know. And <laughs> uh God. and then, and then and what then a I, feeling though, thinking like here you are on this Dale Earnhardt's jet plane to yeah. go talk to him. Like, how did gets, we get here? It gets worse. Yeah. How about we get to the airport in Richmond, and I'm thinking we're going to go to the racetrack, and they said, no, Dale called. He's on his way to the airport. So we're in a little FBO, which is the private section of an airport. And, you know, I I, I might have met Dale once for a brief second, 
and you know, I never really sat and talked to him or anything. And I'm thinking to myself, we're sitting here waiting, me and two pilots, and they're, you know, legs crossed, eating chips and stuff. And meanwhile, I'm shaking, you know, I'm like, you know, as soon as that door opens up, it's going to be Dale Earnhardt. Sure enough, that door opens up like the white tornado, like his dad coming in the room, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, Dale in cowboy boots, strapping 6'3", six, 6'5". Six, He's like, come on, Park, let's go. You know, everything was fast. He wanted everything, like, when that race was over, like, if I flew to a racetrack with him, when that race was over, I couldn't even talk to my crew chief about the race. I mean, I had to run, change, and then get to the golf cart and get to the helipad to get on the helicopter because if I was flying home with Dale and I wasn't there on time, he was gone. If right. I got to the airport, he was gone. Oh. So, uh, wow. Yeah, he'd, he'd say, wheels up. If he said wheels up at one o'clock, if you got to the airport at one o'clock, you'd see the wheels going up on the airplane because mm -hmm. they were out of there. But uh, wow. just, just, just fun times, just a lot of fun times. So you had you came down south, obviously, to drive, you mm -hmm. know, to to become a driver. Were your your aspirations were they to come down south to be a crew chief or a car owner? Crew chief. Crew chief. Yeah. Okay. All right. So when you had first gotten here, like, who was your first crew chief and gig? with because i mean you'd done it with greg Sachs down in florida but that was put together at the last minute yeah i um i started i think i moved in november and then it was craven right yeah well i was car chief well within two months i was already a car chief at, for ricky craven with the 41 car um okay so things moved pretty quickly to get me that point you know R ray you know everham ricky called uh Ray looking for somebody, and I was doing some night work for Ray at Hendrick uh -huh. at the time because I was just we were just getting our feet wet down there. So he was like, "Yeah, I got somebody." Just you know, so I got Bono a job there as well. So um, at the forty one at the forty one okay. team, and then we moved Gary Putnam down, and he uh, he got the job there too. So we we're a pretty solid group of modified guys now in the Cup Series. You know, Bono was a chief mechanic. Uh, Gary was a, a mechanic, uh, one of the you know head mechanics in the shop, and uh, here we are, eight races in, we're fourth in points, you know, battling everybody. And when Bono and I were like, "Holy cow, look at this! Look where we are so quickly!" You know, so um, the team started to have financial issues, and Ricky got in that bad wreck at Talladega that year when we, we were fourth in points, mm -hmm. and uh, things kind of went downhill, unfortunately, uh, as the year went on. So. I got a call uh, that October, I guess, to put together a brand new, he, uh, Harry Renier hired me as a crew chief to put together a brand new team. And uh, I started, I don't know, I was there less than a year and I was building a brand new cup team from from the ground up. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay, and with Harry Renier. Yeah, and there was this kid. Uh, We've named, had Lauren on the show before yeah, too. Yeah, and uh, this kid named uh, Tony Stewart was the driver. They had him signed. Was you know that, that guy? That was it. Yeah, I know. That yeah. was that uh, black and white car, right? It was. Uh, well, it was white at the time. So we built this. We built the car, and uh, it was the. Uh, we went to Atlanta as an ARCA car and tested. And uh, back then, it was fifty, sixty cars that would show up at all these tests, including the Cup test, mm. uh, especially the last. That was the last race of the year, and we went with Stewart, and uh, we, I don't know, two, three tenths faster than, than anybody, and Tony wasn't had much experience yet but you can tell he was good 
um, right off the bat, obviously. And the second day we were testing there, he was finally like, hey, can you make the car do something? This is how I know he was going to be like a really, really good race car driver. He's like, can you make the car free and can you make the car tight so I know what it feels like? But by the third or fourth lap, every time we did it, he would readjust what he would do and he would go just as fast. So I'm like, man, this guy's going to be good. So we ended up saying, we, we called Mr. Rainier and we were like, hey, can we just stay for the cup test and do the cup test the next day? The only difference between the Aka cars back then and the cup cars were the tires and the spoiler. Right. So all we did was change the spoiler and we put Goodyear's, we took the Hoosiers off and put Goodyear's on. And uh, out of 40, 50 cars, I think that day we were third fastest. So we were like, man, we can just go screw the Arca race. Let's just go run the cup race. So um, as all this is going on behind behind the scenes, Joe Gibbs and and Tony are there they're talking and about what he's eventually going to get in the twenty car and things start. You can see things starting to not work. So the week leading up to the Atlanta race, Tony said, "I'm not. I don't want to race the Cup race in Atlanta because I don't." They, you know, I don't want to race against Jeff going for the championship. I don't want to get in the middle and cause a ruckus in case I do something stupid and stuff. So at the same time, he got bought out of his contract mm-hmm. around that time. So um, <laughs> it's weird how all this works. So we, we hired uh, Elton Sawyer to drive. Uh, he qualified, I think, top 15, ran in top 15 the whole day and thing. And he said, you know, he really liked the car. And I, I guess he went back to Bill Davis at that time and said, hey, keep an eye on this, this group, this kid. Tommy's pretty good with race cars. I don't know. I didn't get hired from Bill two three years after that, two years after that. So I didn't know he even said that. So we we went on, we qualified sixth with, with Greg Sachs, the Daytona 500, and then uh, the team, again, started running the financial um, issues with the, uh, there was, he was, Mr. Rainier was partners with the guy down in Florida, had some financial issues, so the team closed down. Uh-huh. Again, we had connections with an engine builder, uh, Junie Donlevy, the owner of uh, Hollig Mer- uh, Furniture, uh-huh. hired me to go be Dick Trickle's crew chief. So I'm like, okay. There's the legends you've had to. Yeah, guys, the legend that you're crew chief for. You know, Dick Trickle, Tony Stewart, Casey Kane, uh, Reed Sorensen for a, a little while, yeah. uh, uh, Ward Burton. I mean, God, just. I mean, I, uh, I've been Steve Park. I've been Steve Park. Mike Uinesco. I mean, I've been pretty, yeah. pretty lucky to have my dad. I mean, you know, Greg Sachs. I mean, there's a lot of. Jimmy Spencer. You I know? can only, I cannot imagine, like, your dad must have been the toughest guy to crew chief for. Yeah, I didn't, we, we didn't get along. Yeah. Long, but, uh, <laughs> we won some races together, though. But uh, So now that you're in this <clears throat> era or in this age of it, and, and, like, you have kids now that are racing, you have a son, he's not racing, but uh, what are you trying to do with your kids now to get them to be old school because we see a lot of the kids out there that are in bio rides they you know they don't know how to work on the cars they know how to drive them but you know as far as picking up a wrench or something it all depends on what kid you get like what are you trying what lessons are you trying to instill in them yeah i mean right now right now i, w- I want them to be successful with less you know what i'm saying i, I want to be able to you know luke's in the in the pro late models right now on the cars tour running some races and you know, we, we don't have any backing. We don't have any, but, you know, his first race ever in Hickory a couple of weeks ago, he finished seventh. And he was the the first car that, that wasn't a backed team. 
you know, a Chevrolet or a Toyota team and didn't have 15 employees. Right, there's a lot of that in late yeah, models. Yeah, I mean, the first six guys that beat Luke were top teams. So I'm like, look, we finished first in class, but we got a lot to learn. That was all, all, all of our first late model race. I said, we'll get better the second one and the third one by Wilkesboro. We'll, we'll maybe sneak a top five if we do everything right and execute right. So um, that's what we're working on. We try to, you know, try to do more with less because you can and that's you know, stuff because it's still old school. You, st you can, luckily we have enough cup experience of what we learned through all the trials and tribulations of everything we learned the last 20 years still applies to the short track industry. Mm. So we can uh, apply all that and uh, hopefully you can have some success to get, you know, some eyes on them and uh, get hired. What are some of the things that, that drive you nuts though about like this new way we're doing racing? You know the the buyer rides even down at the yeah, lowest I mean, levels. You, like you, kids don't work on their cars and like me personally. Like I'll give you an example. You know I, I run my small dirt car every once in a while. What aggravates the hell out of me is if some kid comes f flying in the corner, cleans me out, puts me in the wall, and I'm thrashing on my car over here, and he's over there tossing the football around with his with his buddies. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's definitely changed. I mean the the you know you 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 know I, I know a lot of people are. The, the summer shootout, the legend stuff is a joke to me. It, the, and it's not the kids' fault; it's the people that are running it. They they just let they let it go too much. These kids wrecking each other, the beating and banging, and then they're getting into the the other divisions, and they're starting to do the same things now. And it doesn't take long for them to to get out of it, but it, they're bringing that into to that. And uh, you know, Luke got taken out in one of the late model races couple months ago because kid just got mad because Luke passed him clean and you know passed him for second his first ever late model race passed him for second and uh, got taken out and it's like the kid said he was going to do it on purpose and he did it. and it's just it aggravates me that these if the kids grew up working on the cars and knew how hard it is to get a car on the track they wouldn't do it mm -hmm. you know so between that and the people that are putting on these shows that get the kids started are the issue in the beginning of these kids careers right now to me um you don't see that at riverhead when the when the when the legends cars race because they put them to the back now they, yeah you know you rough right. drive well, and they, i absolutely you, agree and every division now and i and i think they need to be doing that in the cup series now they people need to be put in the back because it's so hard to pass it's a big penalty now right to for these cup drivers to be put put last and try to get through to through the field mm -hmm. so you know they need to start looking at a rough riding penalty whether it be a lap down or go to the back or or something because these guys you know you can't beat them up anymore which is what, what we everybody should be everybody should be getting yeah. beaten as yeah. far as i'm concerned yeah. you know and it should just be that way you know and 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 it, it just should be and but nascar don't allow that because people complain well you know they need to put some things in place to it's the same guys doing it, right? And so until something gets put in place, they're going to keep doing it and say they're sorry because that gets them out of trouble. So we used to wait down the road for the people to come out of the track. Oh yeah. Oh really? Hollers and oh, yeah. stuff. Who, who did you get? Who, who did you get in a fight with? Uh, a few people. I could. In the modified series, really? uh, no, just people well, either. When you were in the modifieds, did you ever really have any heated rivalries with anyone over the years? Because I, I don't remember you really having any problems with I, anybody. I never really did. And a lot of the big time race, and I mean, you know, when you're short track racing at Riverhead, you know, it's whoever you 
tangled with that night is is your fiercest rival but then it changes the week after Mm -hmm. um on the modified tour we used to have some great racing and but we all had a lot of respect for each other you know when you know i can tell you the races i've had with you know you know mike stefanik and reggie Ruggiero and jamie tomino and and tommy baldwin senior and and we'd we'd nerf and we'd race hard but we wouldn't purposely put somebody out you Mm -hmm. know i mean accidents happen and you know sometimes you make a mistake but um i think the best thing for me is like when i drove my own car you know i came from a blue collar family so i had to work really hard to make money work really hard to put it into my race car and i can't tell you how many times i'd be third and i'd be like man if i just push a little bit more i could get second but i could also tear the right front off and i know that's going to cost me thirty eight hundred dollars and 28 cents i mean i knew exactly right right down to it it was 200 bucks for the spot on the track but i you know i'd I'd have to risk losing three grand to try to win 200. right so as a driver i was constantly thinking about that um as an owner driver (coughs) and i think that you you look back on that and, and you think to yourself you know that's what did a lot for me because I remember the first time I got a, a tour ride in somebody else's car and they were like, win or just bring back the steering wheel. You know, they, they had the money, they had the motors, they had the tires, and they just wanted you to drive your heart out. And I became a better driver because now I wasn't being the accountant, being the tax guy, being the, the guy that has to stay up four extra nights late working on my race car. And, you know, I'd be in that third position. I'd be like, you know what? If I, if I push and take a little bit more risk, I know I can get second. When I get to second, that's, that'll give me a determination on if I can try to get to the win or not. Mm-hmm. But I would never think of that when I was driving my own car. And I was paying the bills. And I was doing all the work. Um, so driving for somebody else is, is really what made me decide I could be a better race car driver, what it would take to be more aggressive, but not do the dump and run, you know, a right. bump and run. Oh, or, that drives me nuts. Or, or you know, and, and you know, you got to remember, too, when, when I I had earned respect on the tour when I first got there in somebody else's car, so I couldn't be, you know, uh, a guy just hacking people out of the way. I'm talking racing at the top notch, you know, millimeters apart, touching, sparking a little bit, and then everybody survives. You know, the guy go, coming from third goes on to win the race, but doesn't take out the guy in second and third to do that. Right. So the fans get to see a great race. If you don't have the ability or the car to pull something like that off, you also knew that too from your own experience driving for yourself. So, uh, um, but like you know, when I got the modified tour, you, I mean, I can name the guys from beginning to end, but everybody was my hero. They were racing modified tour. I was a rookie, so I had a, I'd run in the top five and look at the cars that I beat, and look at the cars that I, I would have to beat. So I, I was learning as I was developing my skill, mm-hmm. and then, but the respect came from me driving my own cars and not wanting to tear my stuff up. So I didn't want to tear up somebody else's stuff. Never mind my stuff, my stuff or somebody else's stuff. So it just. 
It you teaches know. you how to take care of the equipment too. You got to take it. You know, in order to finish first, you got to first finish. Everybody hears that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then and then and then another thing I'll just comment on, and I'll let everybody else take it for their own opinion. But these guys burning these cars down after the race is over. Well, I mean, the, I the burnouts. I, I have to stand up, shut TV off, and get away, and, and not see it. And then it's on social media, and it's on everything else where I can't avoid it because. I had so much respect for my race car. If I won a race and my car was in perfect condition, I'd be so happy because I'd be able to race that car again the following week or the week after. Right. You know, whenever it was due for the type of car that you had. But these kids that destroy their cars after they win a race, um, you know, and I'm sure Tommy thinks the same way I do. You know, I grew up even when I was racing for Earnhardt. I knew everybody in the shop personally, mm-hmm. first names, family names, kids, and I know how much work it would take me to rebuild my own car if it was my own still, like we were just talking about. But I would think about everybody and their families and the dances they were missing because they had to work late, they had to work overtime because of what I did. Mm-hmm. I won the race, they gave me a great race car. You know, instead of celebrating with them, by bringing your car home in one piece, you burn it down yeah, until it's it destroyed. Uh-huh. And, just, and you as a car owner, I can imagine that would just send you through the roof. Yeah. Especially when you're paying the bills. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. You well, know, I mean, in the beginning when all that started, it was probably done for a reason. You know, to that's what's going to be my next question. Are they doing that to kind of screw something up in the in post race inspection? Uh, it could be manipulating some things for okay. sure. But uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Johnson might have done it once yeah. or twice. <laughs> I, I think Chad got caught yeah, but, talking about it. But yeah, it's uh, you know, it happens. But uh, yeah, you know, you talked about racing with Mike Stefanik. You got to race with Mike Stefanik. You technically. Uh, you you didn't crew chief for him, but he helped you win one of your cup races, didn't he? Yeah, we. Um, how, did, how did that go? Yeah, we were struggling on our short track program with the twenty two with the Caterpillar car with Ward, and uh, I wanted to just to get a fresh guy in there with and go to a track, uh, Thompson Speedway, which it's not anything like New Hampshire, but I wanted to go to a track that I really knew, but I wanted to take somebody that really knew the track as well, so I can just take those two elements out of the equation and just work on the race car so um we had a two-day test plan and uh mike did a really good job and we went through those two days and we learned a lot we did a lot of things and where'd you test that at thompson okay at thompson uh, that thursday so we stayed and as we we were swapping engines and getting the car ready for in, in the infield as we were getting the car ready to go to new hampshire we sat down mike and i we you know went over okay, what's the difference between here and New Hampshire? What do we need to do? Because Mike obviously had success in the Bush North and, and the Modifieds there. And uh, yeah, I think he run a truck race there as well. So we just came up with uh, a plan what to do from Thompson to to New Hampshire. And uh, we never touched the bolt all weekend. Really? And uh, Ward got in it and uh, we won the race. And uh, yeah, Mike had a lot to do with it. And you know, again, it just cemented another some something else that you know all the accomplishments that he did how good a race car driver he was another guy that could have went to the top level and been success you know successful so there's a lot of them out there that that have the chance or had the chance but just didn't follow through and there's a lot of them that never get the chance that deserve a chance Mm -hmm, so 
Um, you know, with all of his his brains and ingenuity and his driving ability, it's amazing that he did not end up in those higher levels of racing. Well, again, it's you know the old the old days. money. Yeah, it was he was making good money and doing very well wh- where he was. You know, his family was cemented in 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 the Rhode Island area, and what he was doing, you know, he was doing well and winning championships and. So at that point in his life, he's, you know, had his two daughters at the time, you know, so it's pretty hard for somebody to have all that success when you're single like Steve was and you can go take chances. You know? uh-huh. It's a commitment. You yeah. know, I mean, we yeah. like we talked about, we, we gave up everything. I mean, family, friends, girlfriends, I mean, everything. The first thing on our mind was racing cars. Uh-huh. And, you know, we were young enough at the time that um, like – you know, when I when I got the call from Earnhardt, you know, I didn't have to, you know, worry about taking my kids out of school, moving them, you know, from, right. from the north to you right. know, North Carolina, you know, all those other plans that make it more difficult for you to make that decision. And some people get to a point, like we was talking about with Mike, where uh, him and Julie, you know, they had a great business up in New England. He was racing two or three different series and winning championships. He won the Bush North and the Modified Championship in the same two year. years in a row. Super talented guy. You know, did he did he have the ability to to race down south? Sure, he did. Yeah. Um, he was rookie of the year in the truck series. He was, right? yeah. yeah. But he was, you know, was he was already past that age of where you know the responsibilities. Yeah. Overrode, right? He doesn't you know, have the yeah. kids, the business. Yeah, he has the kids, the business, and all. Of we that we understand stuff. that now because we're at that age. Well, yeah. we've been at <laughs> that age, kids. but back then we were like, man, I would have just went. Man, what the hell was that uh, guy thinking? Yeah. You know. But, all right, but we we were getting close to the end of the show. But we just got to touch on a few things before we wrap up. Um, is there ever going to be a day where you hop in one of Tommy's cars again? Like you're gonna, you know, never, never say never. I was gonna we, say you last raced in a modified, you won. I know, and and, and he the, drove the cup car. We we yeah, we, we raced Daytona in his cup car. Finished, finished 11, 11. Yeah. That was cool. That was and, really cool. Uh, that one-off year. deal in a in an underfunded car, and I think uh, we came in. I said, man, you know, I was complaining about the left rear of the car, you know, just not getting into the racetrack and stuff. And we finished eleventh, and we looked at the car time and said, damn, shock was broken off the left rear. The shock mount broke. Oh, and, okay. uh, so, I mean, just, but sheer determination, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I, I hadn't raced in a while and, you know, I had the experience and, and Tommy needed somebody to come on board and I still don't think you paid me for that. No. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's, you know, it's not all about money, but it's about, you know, friends helping friends. Right. And, you know, we've, we've been to the pinnacle. Um, and we've raced the short tracks of Long Island. So, mm-hmm. um, but the main thing is we've re- remained friends for all these years, and I uh, appreciate that. And you never say never because um, I'm supposed to race a WRS race in Daytona in June 10th with two other guys, two other friends of mine. WRS is um, World Racing Series or something. It's a it's a BMW with one of those oh, okay. wings on the back. And oh, cool. It's like GT2 or, or something. That'd be fun. I don't know much about it. It's a 14-hour race. They were needing three drivers. My buddy called me up. and So anyway, the funny part of the story is I shoot him a text. I said, you know, last <laughs> helmet I had was 10 years old and it's got to be under 10 years old or something like that right so i'm like ah damn i need to get a helmet i need to get my hans device recertified and all that so uh so i'm in the process of doing that 
And uh, I, I text time. I said, who do, you, who do you get your helmets and stuff from? And he's like, why are you asking? I'm like, mind your own business. <laughs> <laughs> nice. we'll, we'll see how his reflexes are yeah. through this 14-hour yeah. uh, yeah. thing and see if he get get good enough again. I hope I stay awake from 14 yeah. hours. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's so funny. You bring up Florida, too, because uh, Steve Halpin was texting me. He said, ask Tommy about the mancations we do down in Florida every year. He was yeah. like, you got to tell, tell the stories of the mancations. So what, yeah, what, well, what, what happens there? What goes you? on in mancation stays, stays in mancation. Oh, it's one of those things. <laughs> but, huh? yeah, what's... Uh, you know, we do it in honor of my dad. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, before he passed away, in the, win the winter before he passed away, we he was just started playing golf and starting to enjoy other things besides racing. Mm -hmm. He was, you know, 56, 57 at the time. And I'm like, hey, man, it would be great just for me and you disappear in the winter. Let's go down to Florida. Just me and you go play golf for two, three days. He's oh man, that would be awesome. Let's just go have some fun. So we left it at that. So when he passed away, uh, for two or three years, we were and we having charity golf tournaments in Long Island in his honor, uh -huh. raising a lot of money. You know, doing really good things with it. You know, a lot of the a lot of cup drivers would come. We had a blast. Mm -hmm. It got to the point it was just so much work to do it with between everything. And Steve had Steve Hoppin had a big big part of doing all that and putting that together. And he puts together the mancations as well. But uh, so I went to Steve after that. I said, you know what, let's uh, let's continue honoring. But I told him the story and he's like, yeah, that would be good. So we started, I think, the first year. I think seven, six or seven, maybe eight of us went. And we had a blast. And now we're up to, I think, 40, 42 yeah, or 43 yeah, yeah. go now every every January Holy in Orlando for, yeah. for three days. Yeah, and play golf for three days. Yeah. And you go down fun. too? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, oh yeah. wow. Cool. So it's pretty cool. So it's uh, it's it's a it's a obviously a group of us, and it's it's friends of mine through racing. It's friends of mine growing up. It's friends of mine that we met racing. It's friends of mine from college. It now it's friends of friends. Now it's kids of our friends going. So it's retired modified it's getting, drivers. Yeah, it's getting yeah. generational. Yeah, yeah, so it's 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 growing more and more and uh yeah, it's a lot of fun for those two or three days. But uh yeah, we 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 uh we have a lot of fun. We go to the we, same spot, mm -hmm. same place every every time now, so we know it's safe and we, we, they know what to expect out of us and <laughs> they put us in the corner and leave us alone and uh we just sit and break each other's balls and drink and have fun and, and tell stories. Tell stories. Tell yeah. stories. And you got to remember, we drink. You know, Tommy Senior's drink of choice was a white, white Russian. Russian. Yeah. And I uh, we, I think even the resorts will say we've never seen so many white Russians sold. Because <laughs> yeah, we we, uh, we did eight. I think Friday that Friday night, I paid the bill. It was eighteen hundred dollars in uh, white Russians oh for Friday God. night. And, and every time we get around, everybody uh, salutes Tommy Sr. Yep. That's know, cool. For him passing. Well, guys, uh, before we go, I got a story I got to share with you. <laughs> um, and actually, it's just really publicly to say thank you to Tommy because uh, in 2020, when my family got hit with COVID, um, we were all uh, quarantined in the house and isolated and everything. So we couldn't go nowhere yeah. or do nothing. And it was just at the beginning of it. So people were even nervous about coming over you know, and just dropping food off. And he texted me out of the blue and he said, what's your address? I'm sending you a bunch of food. And he's like, give me the number to a local place up there. And uh, I gave him a number to Gino's Pizza and they sent over plates of 
ziti, chicken parmesan, salad, uh, rolls, pizzas. You 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 name. We ate for a whole week because mm-hmm. of because of Tommy, and yeah. I really thank you for that for helping my family. Uh, you know, my mom loved it. She's passed away since then, but uh, it was just a huge gesture, and and that was really big for us, and it was a. It was a humbling moment, so but thank you very much. No and thank you guys both for coming in here today and taking the trip down here. I, we appreciate you guys coming down here because it's a little bit out of town, but we, we thank you. But uh, really, um, we want to have you back, guys back because I'm sure we could talk even more because there's, <laughs> there's more there's smart modified stuff I want to talk about with you, your drivers, Caleb Hetty, Doug Kobe, you know, all of that. And then what you, got, what you plan on doing with your properties we, and yeah, all we, of that. We got it. One more story. You got to okay. talk about your pet snake. You have a pet snake? No, I don't. Wait, have did a this pet come from? Did, did, wait, did Jaden find this while he was no, fishing? No, no. Talk, talk about your pet snake. What was the pet snake story? When you had the snake and it got lost in Dooley in Genesis. Oh, yeah, yeah. This was no, in the 80s. No, wasn't it a tarantula? Wasn't it a it, big You babies? had a pet snake or a, a spider? No, What'd it was a tarantula. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no. yeah, just real quick. We had a Vinny Petrosini. He worked on my car. It was an excellent fabricator. And, uh, he got a train. Oh, so you were an adult at the time. We, yes. Oh, well, well, we, I don't know. Oh, I, so you I don't think we became 20s. adults till our thirties. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he had a pet tarantula, and he would always bring it to the races. Like we'd be in the truck for seven hours going to Jennerstown or someplace, and he'd always bring this tarantula. And I don't know. I, you know, I wasn't afraid of the tarantula, but one day it just the the cage was there and the tarantula was gone. And I don't think, did anybody ever find it? Well, what happened was, we were a truck in front of you or behind you, I can't remember. And all of a (laughs) sudden, all you guys just jumped out running. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Because fucking spiders, fucking tarantula. I'm like, tarantula? Yeah, he's missing, we can't find him. I'm like, holy shit. We're driving down the highway going like 80 miles an hour. And and everybody's looking, and it was not a a baby spider. I mean, it was a a tarantula. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, like the uh, size of your hand. Yeah, it was yeah. a big one. And nobody could find it. We finally like you know, we finally skidded to the side of the road and everybody bailed out of the truck. So yeah, they just pulled so up and it's like so Vinny like, could what look happened? for it. It was like it was like the Chinese fire drill, you know, like everybody was swapping <laughs> oh. positions. So, no, uh, wouldn't be me either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple other stories. Uh, well, yeah, good. Well, we got a few. Well, believe me, I, we would love to have you. Would you come back again oh, yeah, for another yeah, visit? Yeah, Absolutely sure. great. Yeah, we, we enjoy it. We definitely want to have you guys back because there's hours of stories, but we got to wrap it up here really quick but Tommy Baldwin Jr. and Steve Park joining us here on the Derek Pernasiglio show we want to thank you for tuning in and remember we'll see you the next time bye <laughs> <laughs>